Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Teresa. And we are the co-authors of the book, Pass the Baton, Empowering All Music Students. Our goal is to share stories of educators who are passing the baton and empowering their music students. We want to help teachers create music lessons that transform students from passive consumers to vibrant creatives. Welcome back to the Pass the Baton podcast. We're here to talk about all things student empowerment and music education. Before we introduce today's guest, we want to remind you to follow or subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. In addition, if you like what you hear today, please consider leaving a rating or review. That's what helps the podcast like Pass the Baton grow. We're proud to have been selected for Podcast Corner at the World Education Summit. The World Education Summit 2022 has an amazing lineup like you've never seen before, all in one place. It's an incredible way for teachers and school leaders to re-energize at this crucial time. The summit takes place online March 21st through 24th with full access to replays for one year. Check out www.worldedsummit.com to learn more. We are really excited for today's guest, Scott Sheehan. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting Scott probably six or seven years ago at Midwest. We met through a mutual friend, and I've really enjoyed staying connected with him and following his career, not only as an educator, but also as a leader in PMEA and now a leader in uh, in NAFME. One thing that I love about Scott is his knowledge and passion surrounding the national standards. Yeah, you can really tell that when you talk to him. It's awesome. Um, I think, too, as educators, we um, have so many things on our plate and we worry about uh, all the things on our plate, including the standards. And I think something that's important to remember is the standards really help us shape what we do in the classroom. It doesn't have to be one extra thing. Yeah. So I know you're going to enjoy the conversation. All right. Welcome back, everybody. We are really excited to be here today with Scott Sheehan, who's going to be talking to us about the standards. But before we get into that, Scott, can you go ahead and just introduce yourself? Tell us about your background and what you're doing right now. Sure. Thank you. And thanks for having me on your podcast. It's really exciting. And I I don't know how many viewers are excited to talk about standards and curriculum. (laughs) You know, I felt like, hmm. Let's, you know, who's the nerdiest guy out there that <laughs> on this podcast? I'm just, just teasing. But uh, yeah, I am the high school band director at Holidaysburg, Pennsylvania, which is about 40 minutes south of Penn State University in central Pennsylvania. And I teach uh, symphonic wind ensemble, concert band, jazz band, the marching band. I also teach AP theory, two levels of guitar, uh, an intro level of theory, and a really cool class called Rock, Rap, and Revolution. Mm-hmm. which is a lot of fun. And in addition, I am the K-12 music department chair. And in my spare time, I am also the uh, NAFME, the NAFME president-elect, the national president-elect. So mm-hmm. i am got my hands full here in June, starting in the uh, middle to end of June, I will take over as the national president. So very excited about that. I've also been involved with the um, All National Honors Ensemble program. Uh, with FORNAFME and done a lot of different things there. And I'm still very involved with PMEA here in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. I uh, help coordinate the Leadership Academy and the Model Curriculum Framework Project and some other other various subcommittees of things uh, for PMEA. 
And I'm also a consumer educational clinician. So I have a pretty full plate. And on a personal note, I have a daughter who's a freshman at Penn State University. And we are so proud of her for making the blue band on Piccolo her freshman year, which was a really big deal. And she's loving that. She's a marketing major. And my wife and I have two dogs and my wife's really into training dogs. So uh, there's a little snapshot uh, outside of the music world, too. That's awesome. Well, you definitely have a lot on your plate, but that sounds like it's all pretty fun and exciting stuff. Um, and I love, I love the Holidaysburg connection. We were talking before this all started. That's where I student taught at the junior high. And then I helped out with the high school marching band. So it's yeah. a pretty special place. Yeah, it's, it's a great place to be. And it's funny how it's such a small world sometimes. <laughs> well, in, in 2014, we know that NAFME adopted new music standards, replacing the standards of 1994. Um, what is your experience with these standards? And do you have any insight on, you know, why these new standards were created? Sure. So going back to the 1994 standards, those standards came about sort of in the educational reform in all subject areas. It was time to standardize education. And so those standards were brought about and they were initially art standards as well. They were a broad, um, a broad group of folks from all arts disciplines came together to develop those. However, the music standards in 94 sort of stood alone and we all got used to them very well. And we knew okay. that there were nine and that was easy to remember because there were just nine things and we sang and performed instruments and learned about culture and, you know, reading and notating music. And, and it was easy because there were just nine. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but um, in 2014 and leading up to 2014, because although they were launched in 2014, this came, you know, long after uh, a lot of work had been done, there was a review process. And that, that's pretty standard for standards and, and curriculum, whether that's at a national level, like we're talking here, or state level standards, that after so long, uh, it's time to take a look and see what's going on. And so one thing that folks may or may not know was the 94 standards had their first uh, sort of review, uh, if you will, in 1997. So three years after they were developed in 1997, the National Assessment of Educational Progress came out, the NAEP studies, which accesses all areas of education, not just music or the arts and so on. And there's been some back and forth over the decades of how much involvement the NAEP assessments had for arts and music. Well, nonetheless, the folks who were the drivers and the movers and shakers of the 94 standards became some of the folks who um, created the assessment for the NAEP study in 97 and then after that as well. And interestingly enough, and, and I was not involved back then with this, interestingly enough, they used the lens of create, perform, respond to evaluate the effect, effectiveness of the nine standards that we knew as our 94 core art standards. And so um, that, that was, you know, very interesting to me to see how that all kind of came, you know, 20 years later came into play when we revised the standards. So I think it was a natural review process, but also the fact that they were using create, perform, respond 
in the evaluation and, and the assessments of the 94 standards, you know, to begin with. And I think another big component of this is, of course, you're familiar with No Child Left Behind and core, common core, all of those types of language that was being pushed heavily into school districts. If you wanted the federal funds, you had to adopt the common core. And some states said, no way. Some states said, sure. And there was all this kind of skerfluffle, you know, <laughs> I won't get into details, but there was a lot of craziness over that. And I think it was time in that 20 year span to say, hold on, where, where are we? Where, where do we stand? What do we stand for? And so, a new team was assembled to to uh, revise or look at our music standards along with the art standards and the state education agencies directors of arts education another big you know c day is the acronym but essentially these are the folks who work for departments of education um mm -hmm. in the arts and from all 50 states or as many as as uh, representatives in that association and so the c day folks help to be the convening body to look at the 94 standards and said, okay, so we've been using create, perform, respond. Is this a natural progression to get us to some sort of new process driven type standards versus the, the previous standards that, that were, I, I don't want to say oversimplified because there's certainly a lot of depth to the 94 standards, but it seemed like a logical progression in the wake of Common Core, in the wake of a lot of other educational reform and things like UBD, you know, backwards design and uh, the idea of increasing rigor and, you know, the, the web's depth of knowledge that was out there and trying to move students to that higher level thinking. Whereas if we look at what we do in music classes, sort of hierarchical of how we begin a, a concept and move through that concept, it does take students through that process. And so that's really how the folks arrived at this process-driven standard package versus the nine uh, previous um, standards that we all knew and loved <laughs> so, because it was easy. You know, we could have that little poster and there they are and, and so on. These are not nearly as easy user-friendly and I'll talk about that maybe a little bit later, but um, they're not quite as user-friendly. So my involvement with the 2014 standards, I, know, I think you asked about that a little bit, was I was a reviewer. I was a reviewer for the standards. I was not on one of the writing teams, but I did get to work with the folks who were on the performing strand and work through a lot of revision and, and so on. And, and there was a great deal of feedback. They had three rounds of revision before we uh, launched it officially in 2014. Um, and a lot of the the um, challenge, which I still think, I don't know if we, we quite got it, hit the, you know, hit the nail on the head yet, is the grain, granular size. You know, how specific do we make this versus how broad does it need to be so that it can apply to everyone when you're talking about national standards? Because what's happening here in Pennsylvania is very different in Chicago or Texas or wherever we may be. And so I think that was the, the, one of the big challenges with the, um, with the review process was how specific do we make this versus how broad do we make it? And I'm not sure that we're quite there. And just as a side note, and I'll come up for air here, <laughs> but just, just as a side note, um, I, I, the standards will turn 10 years old during my presidency. And so I do have, I know it's hard to believe they're already 10 years old. So I do have plans to have a, 
um, assessment, a, you know, sort of how are the standards doing now? Where are they being used uh, effectively? What's the effectiveness? What's the adoption rate? And I know some of our NAFME staff have been tracking that, uh, as well as some other folks who have been, you know, very close to the standard development 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so that's definitely in the works. And I don't, I'm not promising anybody listening to this podcast that (laughs) we're going to overhaul them or completely redo them. But I think it is appropriate to have a take a good look at the standards every so often. And that was the intent. And in 2014, they certainly had an intent intent to review them. So, So we'll see what comes up here. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, I remember when they came out in 2014, it was it was so different because like you said, they look very different than the nine that we were used to. Um, I mean, I, I remember, you know, learning those nine in college and, <laughs> and having it drilled into us, mm-hmm. but I also really appreciate what the 2014 standards have in them. And that's kind of why we, you know, we wanted to talk to you today. This podcast, as you know, is about student empowerment, right. And giving students ownership of their music making. And Catherine and I, we see a correlation <laughs> between that and the standards. And we'd love if you could maybe talk a little bit about how the standards do support those ideas. Absolutely. And, and I mean, truthfully, when, when you first invited me to talk about this, I thought this is exactly what your podcast and Pass the Baton, this is exactly what you are all about in, in mm-hmm. this work of empowering students, because that's how the standards are written. They're written for students to uh, achieve these various levels. And so everything from the very beginning of the uh the um, process components, you know, and as you look through each, you know, create, perform, respond, and even connect. And in music, the connect is somewhat embedded, but there's, it also can stand alone in some ways as well. Uh, but when you look at all of this, it's, it's right there in front of you for what the students should do. So for instance, when they say select, you know, and I'll, I'll, let me back up, performing, I'm going to, I'm going to select performing just because I think a lot of the folks who are ensemble directors, whether that's elementary, middle school, high school, even collegiate, I think the ensemble directors tend to shy away from this because we teach how we were taught. We know how to run a great rehearsal. We know how to do these things. And so like, well, that's all good stuff, but you know, I need to just keep, keep doing what I'm doing. And when you take just five minutes, I mean, really a quick glance at the performing standards, you can quickly see how you can um, include your students in the selection process and even, you know, have that go further. So back to my example here, performing. So we're talking about the overall, you know, performing process. But then when you break that down a little bit into those process components. So like select, for instance, it says select varied musical works to present based on interest right there. Interest, whose interest, the director's interest or the student's interest, (laughs) knowledge, technical skill, and whose skill, whose technical skill. We're talking about the student's technical skill (laughs) and context. And I would add even context can imply culture. So whose culture, the student's culture. So when we're talking about selecting music to perform, we're really talking about the the standards themselves talk exactly about the students being involved in that selecting process. And I I won't go through every single one of these, but but just to highlight a little bit more, when we're talking about analyzing the structure, that's the second step, that's the second process component for performing, is analyzing. Well, who's analyzing? Is it the director? Well, sure, the director is going to do score study, 
but isn't this aren't the students going to be so much more informed if they are part of that analysis if they are starting to be able to realize overall structural components analyzing articulation patterns analyzing the um intensities, you know, to look at dynamic structures and overall flow. So there's so many ways that you could take one little component of any of these standards, any of these process components, and say, how can the students really take charge of this? How can they um, take this and run with it versus what I have to do as the director. And it, it literally just takes two, three minutes to understand what it is. It's not hard. It's not some big, oh, who am I going to call? What college course do I need to take? It's, it's <laughs> literally just a quick minute. So, you know, I'm talking broadly right now about the, uh, the process components, select, analyze, interpret. So when we're talking about interpreting, Again, that's the students helping to interpret, but also thinking about what did the, uh, the composer, what did the creator of this content want? And so can the students learn a little bit about the context of when and who and how this piece was created? So I think it all, again, can go right back into the students, kind of flipping the classroom, flipping the rehearsal to be in charge of these things. And the nice thing about the standards too, is they do have the enduring understandings. Some people call them big ideas, but it's kind of the, so what, so what's this all important? Why, why have this, why is it, you know, belong in our, in our classroom or the lesson or however you rehearsal. Um, so it has that. It also had, has that essential question to really help guide you. So, I mean, really, it's not difficult to see how students can immediately be involved in the decision-making, in the rehearsal, um, in the preparations for rehearsals, in the preparations for a concert. Um, it's all right there. And, and the same thing would apply for responding and creating. I just kind of wanted to focus in for a minute or two on performing because I think that's where we see the biggest disjunct or, or the biggest resistance from folks are the ensemble directors because they think they don't have time to do this or they don't, um, it, it's just too cumbersome or it's just you know too tricky. And I will say, and I, I mentioned this earlier, I think that the way the standards read there's a lot there, you know, it, and it's just, you know, and then the codes, you know, we had nine, 94 had nine numbers. That was it. That's all you needed to know. <laughs> now we've got codes, you know, PR.2.3A, you know, subset B, you know, all this. And I know that the authors had to figure out a way to organize it. And, and I get that, but it's really not as difficult as it, it kind of appears. If you just pick one, I, I do talk about the standards a lot in various workshops and things. And I said, just pick one thing, just pick one place to start, read it, look for the verbs. The verbs tell us what students do. And so when we see those verbs and you can flip that to, to your point of this podcast, flip that around to what can the students do to initiate that, that instruction, to initiate that delivery of new material, to initiate you know, this. It's so easy when you look at just one standard and look at the verbs. There it is. That's yeah. how we flip it. Yeah. I have so many like, yes, 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 even moments. Um, but the first one being like, I think so many of us say like, okay, I'm going to, you know, student empowerment, or how do I do this? And it's like, okay, but I have standards, and I have concerts, and I have, and we feel like I can't, because I have all this stuff, but, but I hear you saying, but 
but it's the standards are leading us to that, right? It's we are doing the standards when we we do the when we put the the student in the driver's seat, right? When we let them uh, take some of that ownership, um, and then I think the second thing I was thinking is, can you take it a little bit further for us of like what does that look like? So I've as an educator, I've I've looked at one standard and kind of decompressed. I've looked at verbs. I've looked at what are the students going to do. And so now I'm ready to like craft a lesson or begin a rehearsal in my music room. Like, can you just go a little further off? Like, what does that look like? So I guess maybe example would be like you said, maybe kids are going to select repertoire. So what does that look like on a, in your room? Or maybe that's not a good example. I just, yeah, you know what I mean? How does it look like when I'm with the kids, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and I think it, it, it applies to different people in different ways because sure. it does depend on your context and what level and uh, uh, beginning band students might not have a frame of reference of what music um, would be appropriate for their level. You know, they might say, sure. oh, I love Tchaikovsky. Let's play Tchaikovsky. You know, I'll just throw that out there as an example. Or, or I love hip hop. And the rhythms are so um, technical Perfect. that it's beyond the, the uh, appropriate ability level, perhaps. However, I mean, I could even talk myself out of that because I, I really believe if students are excited about something, they'll find the way. And it's our job as the teacher to guide them through that. So let's just take the hip hop example. They have something really cool that they liked or they, they love the Super Bowl halftime show this year. And they, they you know, they want to recreate something like that for their elementary band. Well, that's where we as the, the professional, as the you know, professional educator can come in and say, you like that. So what does that sound like? Can you create that, that rhythm on your instrument and not worry about the notation just yet? Not worry about, you know, because I think, again, it goes back to our traditional upbringings of how we were taught. And so we are so notation driven, whereas students, I think, can find very cool ideas that that help them to express themselves and help them to find themselves musically and, and define themselves musically um, in in that way. So sorry, I'm like I'm off on this little tangent from your from your question. But I think that there is an appropriateness depending on the level, depending on the, the culture, the context of the school district. Um, but I think it can be as simple as asking students what what music do you want to play for this concert? What do you have any ideas? What what are some of the people that some of the composers or some of the artists that you like um, that would that would speak to us as a, as an ensemble? And I think it's okay to also offer choices. I think that can be a, a very appropriate way to do this. I've done it. I've done it both ways in my own school. I have done something where I, I was really after a certain um, concept that I wanted to teach, and I found four different pieces uh, that all spoke to that sort of lyrical. Uh, concept. And I also wanted to make sure that we had representation from female composers. And so they were all female composer pieces by female composers um, so that the the gals in the class or, or anybody in the class could see, oh, okay, th these are all living female composers um, who are real people, just like us, and they can identify in that way and, and see that representation. So that was one of my goals this a couple of years ago. And so I had them do a little listening project and said, listen to these four pieces. We're going to select one, maybe two, depending on how things turn out. And let me know what you think. And so it was um, a selection piece, but it was also an analysis piece to that because they had to analyze that music and say why 
they they felt that this particular piece was spoke to them more you know it was more relevant to them than something else so i think you can use the the choice model and that's fine and you can set it up in a lot of different ways um i would just encourage folks to have a reason why <laughs> you're you're selecting that or a re you know what's the why behind um, asking the students in the first place, um, why are you putting those four pieces out there? So there's a lot of bias in our educational systems, you know, and it's just built in and it's not that it's good or bad. You just have to recognize that we as the teachers have an awful lot of privilege to select the material for the most part um, and, and develop our curriculum from year to year to year to year. And so if we are always selecting repertoire, that means something to us, um, that's perhaps the same as where the students, you know, where we meet the students, but it might be different. And so if we never ask the students what kind of music they would like to perform or, or study or, you know, dig into, then I think that, you know, it can be very, very one-sided and, and, you know, just kind of go down. And, and perhaps that could be why students drop. You know, they might not see the interest there. You know, they might not see that their thoughts or their, um, preferences or, or culture is valued. So I, I think it kind of can, can go both ways. You know, can, it can really, if you're doing it for the right reasons and you know the why, and you're giving them that empowerment and that encouragement to have their voice and choice in their education, I think they, they're buying in. They're, they're part of it. They, they know they're partners in this, that it's not just the sage on the stage. I always like that, you know, little, you know, <laughs> telling them top down, you're doing this because I said so. And I like Percy Granger and he's, you know, a master. And, and it's okay that they would do some Percy Granger and get to experience that. I'm not at all trying to say that, that you shouldn't also use what you know as canon but it can't only be canon. It can't only be, you know, so, and I could go on and on about just repertoire selection. So <laughs> I, I can pause there, but um, I think that's all part and parcel of what it is that, that you all are trying to, um, to do as well to empower the students. So. Well, and I like, I feel like you're saying, we're not saying you're, you're not saying don't teach notation and you're not saying don't teach Granger. You're just saying expand beyond those. Right. You know, teach some of that and make sure you're also getting input from the students, making sure that it's relevant to the students. And I think that's what sometimes people, they hear, oh, well, let the kids select the repertoire. No, we're not saying every single piece, every single performance. No. Yeah. We're saying just include them in that process. And I also heard you say, you're not just saying, okay, I'm going to let it go and be like, kids, what are we doing for this one per, you know, song? But it's like, as a teacher, you know, you know what, what their needs are, you know, if they want to go here, you've got to start here and you know, get them there. And so it's, you're not hands off, you're just inviting different, you know, ideas, different interests, and then helping them get there. Um, so I, yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if somebody's been listening to the podcast and they're like, all right, I need to start incorporating these standards more. I, I, I need to to be moving in this direction, what advice would you give them? Where should they start? What can they think about? I, I thought about this question because, you know, full disclosure to everybody listening, we taught, you know, I knew this question was coming and I thought about this <laughs> a lot. And I think great teachers put a lot of emphasis in their planning. Mm -hmm. And it's not just, I, you know, have my score and I show up and off we go. You know, I think that great teachers 
at all levels, put a tremendous amount of time into planning every rehearsal and looking at every detail. And so I think for somebody listening to this podcast wants to try and who wants to try to incorporate the standards and incorporate this idea of putting students first, which I, again, will say the standards lend themselves Just look at the standards and in two seconds, you're going to go, oh yeah, there it is. It's right there. So I think in that planning process, when you're planning your next rehearsal, it's as simple as a two second Google search, national standards for music. And they're going to be right there in front of you and go to what's most relevant to you, what speaks most to you um, as the teacher. And maybe you have a goal. Maybe you have a goal on a certain area. I know a lot of teachers say, yeah, I know I'm supposed to do the creating thing, but boy, that's hard because we have a concert and we've got other things that we have a contest and we have festival that we have to get ready for and all these sort of things. And so creating is always like on the back burner sort of thing, but you know, you should probably do it. You know, you get that little voice in the back of your head. This is something I should do. This is something I should do. And so I think that wherever your goals are is where you would start to take a look, but it's so simple uh, and laid out for you when you look at the national standards, because how to include students in all of this, it's right there in front of you, because the language of the standards is the language of empowering students. It's all written as if the students are doing this and the students are uh, doing that. And then you take yourself in that planning process, as I said, a quick, okay, so I'll give you an example. So for instance, if I'm teaching a middle school band and we are rehearsing, we're evaluating, um, you know, in that rehearsal process, we're not quite ready for the concert, but we've selected our music and everything. And you look at the standard and it says, develop strategies to address technical challenges and a varied repertoire of music and evaluate their success using feedback from ensemble peers and other sources to refine performances. That's the standard. That's M-U-P-R-5 dot three dot E Sorry, I know it's just, it's crazy. But anyhow, you find that one standard. First thing it says is develop strategies to address technical challenges. Can the students develop strategies to address technical challenges when they're in middle school? Absolutely. The students are very capable to know this is the hard stuff. What am I supposed to do? Slow down, start at the end, chunk it, you know, all these different strategies. The students know that. I just, I just had this conversation on Friday or Thursday with my students in, in the concert <laughs> band. And they know how to do this. We don't have to tell them all the time. And when we ask the question, when we ask them the question, it flips it back on them to, to already have that answer in mind. Now, could we make that formal? Sure. The students could come up, you know, do use a Google Sheet or a Google Doc or something, and you could create it. You know, we could do it on the spot in class. There could be a homework assignment, and you could have the students put out that, you know, we how we're going to develop strategies or, or a list of strategies to address technical challenges. So that's one part of it. The other part of that standard was evaluate their success, their success using feedback from their peers. So again, that could be in that planning process. The, the teacher works with the students to develop a rubric. I mean, that, that could be something as simple as that. Um, it could be a total student discussion. What does that, what does success look like for us? So it's not hard. It is not hard. I think you just decide where you're at in, as a teacher in, in the rehearsal process or in 
uh, a goal that you have for, you know, like I said, we could go down a whole nother podcast on just creating, but it's just take a look at one standard, look at the verbs and ask yourself, what are the students doing? How can I empower them to take charge of this action that they're going to do in class? It's that easy. I mean, it, it's, it really is that easy. And um, quite frankly, I don't know why more people don't do it other than I think it's a control thing. I think because of efficiency, because of time, we worry that we're going to run out of time or this, this, this type of teaching takes too long. It doesn't. They already have the answers. I, I really believe that if we're setting students up for success with technical skills, with the technique to play their instrument, with the technique to, and I, I'm focusing this on instrumental, I'm sorry, being a band guy, but you know, vocal, same thing, or, or even elementary general music, any of it. When we're um, setting students up with those skills from the beginning, and they, they will know how to refine. And I picked that example a minute ago. They will know what to do because they've already seen that instruction. And so giving them that, that choice or, or that encouragement to decide how, how do we assess ourselves? How do we continually get better? They know the answers. Yeah, which I think that one question we wanted to ask, and I think is just that, you know, how do you balance this idea of empowering students, you know, day after day in your classroom, but then, but I've got this high quality performance I've got to put out. But I, what I heard you say is like, if you spend the time handing it over to them, um, you know, now you've got all these kids um, monitoring their own or refining their own performances. you, You got to the end as well, right? Or would you say, how do you balance that between I've got this concert coming up and I know that this is what the standards are telling me to do. Is there a, is there a different answer there? Or? No, I, I think what I had said earlier and what you just, how you just you brought all that together. <laughs> great. I, I think that it's in the planning. It's in the yeah. planning process. It's how we plan for, you know, there's, there's, that's the great equalizer is time, right? Every ensemble, every person, you know, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. And so if we know concert is here and we're, all the way through the process of, of performing, you know, it's, it's not like, here's how I would approach it. It's not like we're going to start with director focused instruction and then we're a month out before the concert. Okay. Now we're going to include the students for some feedback. Okay. That's done. Check did that. And now, you know, director's back in charge to make sure that 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 performance over here, you know, a week out or whatever is is ready. I I don't see it that way at all. I I think that it should be a continual conversation, a continual uh, piece of this. But as, as every director is looking at every rehearsal and you ask yourself, how can I include the students? How can the students take charge of this? And so on. Um, I think it's easy that it's just the whole continuum of getting ready for that high power concert or, or whatever it is, that big performance. I think that it's just in the planning. I, I don't think that it's any more difficult or takes any more time than any other way. And, and I'm not saying that even as myself in a classroom or in a rehearsal that I don't say clarinets, that's a B natural. You've missed B natural three times. You know, <laughs> I'm not saying that that's sure. sometimes just the most efficient way to just, you know, get it done you know but 
so I, I think it's it's a more broad context, you know, of how we empower the students to be involved throughout the entire process. And then it, it's not like it has to take away any time from your instruction. It's just how you do things and it's just how the students do things. And I, I want to back up one second. This is a little bit of a stray from the standards, but I think when you're developing student leadership, you know, and that idea of student leadership, and you've probably done podcasts with people that have talked about leadership um, in, in, the, in the ensemble setting, I think that that, or, or even in the general music classroom setting, but when you're talking about developing student leadership and those leaders can take charge, you know, they, they can um, truly be the guides for the musical um, interpretation for the musical trajectory of, of where things can go. And so I think along the way, as you're developing musicians, you're developing leaders to also um, help, help be that, that role model, if you will, be that example, be the student says, sure, here, here you go. I, I really like this. And this was something that I wanted to share with everybody or, or whatever. I, I think that kind of goes hand in hand. Yeah. And I think for me too, when you, when you empower the kids to be leaders, sometimes it's, uh, I know I, I'm with the littles. So then, then I pile on top of that, uh, wow, look how creative you were or look. And sometimes the, the look on their face, they, they never thought of themselves as that, but they just got that opportunity that was successful to feel that way. And now they're creative, you know, even though we know they always were, but it's all right. It's our growth mindset. If we don't see ourselves as composers, we don't see ourselves as a musician or as a clarinetist or whatever it is. And, and sometimes it's our job to just recognize it and give them that opportunity to lead and then see, gosh, yeah, I do have something to say. And I, I am, you know, a musician. So. Quick story about that exact thing. Early on in my teaching, probably, and I've been teaching 25 years, so this was probably like year six or seven. I was teaching a seventh grade flute lesson, and we were doing Air for Band. I'm sure that's kind of a standard. A lot of folks know Air for Band. Beautiful lyrical piece. And this st particular student was in the lesson, and she played everything perfectly. Everything, every note was perfect. Every rhythm was perfect. The dynamics were there. But I knew it wasn't me. It didn't mean anything to her. And I remember saying to her, I said, this was, if I had to grade you on this, I'd probably give you an A minus. And she looked at me because she knew she played it really well. And she looked at me, I said, she said, what? what? And I said, everything was correct, every, every, but, but it didn't mean anything to you. I said, you have to be able to put that expression. Can you do it again? I'm not going to tell you anything to do. Just let it come out. And oh my God. I mean, I was like totally, you know, for a little seventh grader to get you know me to almost cry. I mean, literally I had tears welling up because she put all that from inside of her out. And I sometimes, and I tell that story to even my ensembles now, because sometimes I feel like we become a barrier to the students from letting them truly put their whole selves their authentic selves into their music making. And that could be, you know, the barriers could be the repertoire because it doesn't, you know, I told you we could go down that whole path, but <laughs> you know, it could be repertoire, but it could also be the interpretation. Is it always my interpretation or can the students 
let that out and let their creative selves out. And, and even young musicians, as that example I just gave, you know, they, they have it. It's inside of us. We just need to tap it and let it go. <laughs> yeah. oh, awesome. It's so powerful. Yeah. I, I'm with Catherine. I just have so many things that I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> I'm just lo- loving us all. This, yeah. You, you joked about this being a nerdy podcast. I'm loving it. <laughs> oh, I'm geeking out for sure. <laughs> I, I, I am too. I, I love this yeah. stuff. I, I, I love curriculum. I love repertoire. Yeah. I love, you know, how, yeah. how do we make the most and the most exciting experience for the students and how do we, how do we let them yes, run yes. with this? Yeah. Well, and like you said, it's not like we check a box. Okay. I empowered them today. Moving on. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's no. just, it's part of what we do. And if we can build that in from day one of the process, little, little bits here and there, and, you know, Catherine's going to start it with her kindergartners and then it'll continue through junior high and into high school and absolutely yeah, great things can happen. Mm. All right. So if people want to connect with you, learn even more, if they've got burning standards questions to ask, (laughs) how can they contact you or get in touch? Sure. That's, uh, that's fine. I mean, the easiest way probably is email. Um, And if you go to the NAFME website, you know, I'm I'm on there, obviously. Um, She and music ed at gmail.com is, is my email. S H E E H A N E H is silent, but uh, (laughs) she and music, uh, she and music ed at gmail.com is my email or just find me on the NAFME site or look up Holidaysburg High School. I'm there as well. Um, Yeah, very glad to uh, connect with anybody about standards, about empowering their students um, in any way. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Awesome. Well, we really, really appreciate this conversation and just all the good things coming from it. So thank you so much for your work, you know, not only for your Holidaysburg students and Pennsylvania music educators, but really everything that you're doing for NAFME. Yeah. We're pretty lucky. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'd also love for you to consider sharing this podcast with a friend and leaving a positive review. That's one of the best ways to get this message to new listeners.